Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on the Fridays with Francis podcast. I'm so glad that you've decided to be with me. Just a reminder, these podcasts are the audio versions of the video live streams that I do every week on Fridays at 8.15 Eastern on my Facebook page, Monk Musings, or my Instagram profile, Francis OSB. If you'd like, head on over to those platforms and you can see the video live stream either while I'm doing it or it also gets saved so you can watch it anytime you'd like. In the meantime, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and thanks for joining me. Here's the latest episode of Fridays with Francis. Here. Okay. Hello, Facebook. Facebook is on. I'm Anne-Marie. Okay. We're getting going here. Oh, no, I can't do that. Hi, everybody. Oh, hi. There we are. Sorry, I just have to do, I have to take some extra steps on Facebook when we get going here. There we go. All right. Hello, everybody. We're going to get going in just a minute here because uh, it's hot. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get this over with, but it's hot. So welcome, everyone. And we're so glad you're here. It's, what time is it? Okay, it's 8.16, so we'll get going in just a few seconds. Hello, everyone. Again, so very glad that you're with us. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with me this evening, Friday, July 10th, 2020. So let's begin as we begin all things in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Raise up, O Lord, in your church the spirit that animated our Holy Father, Saint Benedict, that filled with the same spirit we may love what he loved and practice what he taught. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, welcome to another edition of Fridays with Francis. Uh, so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad that you're here tonight to talk with me about arguably one of my favorite saints, one of my favorite saints, and that is Saint Benedict of Nursia. There is a lot that can be said about Saint Benedict. There is a lot to say about Saint Benedict. Uh, I have a couple of things that I will mention. Uh, if you don't know, the reason why Saint Benedict is so influential in my life uh, is that I am a, for those of you just tuning in, uh, I am a Benedictine monk. I am a monk 
that follows the teachings and the rule of Saint Benedict. That is why, first and foremost, why Saint Benedict is so important to me. But arguably, uh, and I will try to make this argument during our time tonight, uh, Saint Benedict is important to everyone, not just Christians, but to everyone uh, in the world. And I will, again, as I just said, try to make that argument. The reason I'm talking about St. Benedict tonight is that tomorrow, July 11th, is when the Church, the Roman Catholic Church, celebrates the Feast of St. Benedict. In the Benedictine world, we celebrate his feast on two days, and so I like to think that tomorrow we celebrate his life, his birth, and on March 21st we celebrate his death. Uh, I will talk a little bit about his death because I think the story surrounding his death is one of the one of the most interesting and uh, edifying stories that there is. So again, thanks for joining me tonight. You made it through another week. Congratulations, and here we are. So let's talk about Saint Benedict. Saint Benedict was born in a little town called Nursia. Uh, which is just outside of Rome, probably an hour's drive, I believe, south or southeast of Rome. And he was born in the year 480, so nearly 50, uh, just over 1,500 years ago. He was uh, the son, we believe, of Roman nobility, and he was sent to Rome for his education, for his further study. When he got to Rome, he was pretty dismayed at the, the laxity and the lack of faith and lack of piety and just overall, yeah, you could call it consumerism, materialism of the time in Rome. And so he left Rome and he became a hermit for three years in a town called Subiaco is again another small town outside of Rome and there he lived in a cave for three years. After that time uh, as a hermit, as a monk, he was convinced by several other monks uh, to be their abbot, to be their leader and so he joined them and hilarity ensues. Uh, not hilarity necessarily but uh, different events transpire, and what ends up happening is he ends up founding 12 different monasteries around Italy, and more importantly for us and for me today, he writes a rule of life, today called the Rule of St. Benedict. He dies in the year 543. About 50 years later, Pope St. Gregory the Great who many believe was a Benedictine, or at least spent time in Benedictine monasteries, wrote uh, a, a set of stories called the Dialogues, and a large portion of the Dialogues were devoted to the life of St. Benedict. And so, basically, the, two, the one primary source that we have about St. Benedict is his rule, and then the closest thing that we have to a historical account of his life is something written 50 years later 
by Pope St. Gregory the Great called the Dialogues. So we are going to have a check the book segment tonight, but it will be a little bit different. I will not be using my Bible tonight for the first time in as many weeks. I will instead be reading to you from the Rule of St. Benedict and the Dialogues of St. Gregory the Great. For those of you that would like to maybe do more reading or who are interested in this topic further, what I would recommend to you is this book that I have here. Uh, these post-it notes are mine. Um, this was put out by Bishop Barron's Word on Fire organization. It's called the St. Benedict Collection. It's a one-volume book. Uh, the first half is the Rule of St. Benedict, and the second half is the Dialogues of Gregory the Great, and it's the part of the dialogues that he talks about St. Benedict. Uh, St. Benedict is known as the patriarch of Western monasticism. He's also the patron of Europe. He's the patron saint of Europe. Why is that? Well, you can arguably say, and people a lot smarter than me have made this argument, that uh, if it were not for Benedictine monks, Western civilization would have died. Uh, and that is because Benedict writes his rule, establishes monasteries in Italy, and they spread all throughout Europe. And uh, most especially during the time of Charlemagne, Charlemagne decreed that in his kingdom, if you were to have a monastery, you had to follow the rule of St. Benedict. And so it got to the point in Europe in the Middle Ages where you could walk from one monastery to another in a day. That's how close together they were. And in these monasteries, the monks there preserved the Bible, preserved the great classical works of the Roman and Greek philosophers, preserved and created art. You name it, it was probably kept in a Benedictine monastery or produced from a Benedictine monastery. And so Benedict is uh, a pivotal, pivotal figure in the history of the world and history of Western civilization. I think, personally, he's a pivotal player in our world today because of his rule. Benedict wrote his rule for monasteries. Uh, it's, his rule for monasteries is 73 chapters. Not that long, though. Some of these chapters are a paragraph long. Some of them are a couple pages long. It depends on the topic. And so what I thought I'd do for you tonight is just to read some excerpts from the rule. And I chose these excerpts because of one, one thing, one criteria. And that is the excerpts I'm going to read to you tonight uh, do not necessarily apply to monks. They can be adapted and they can be taken on by anybody. Uh, this rule, I will tell you right now, is still followed today in Benedictine monasteries the world over, including the one that I am sitting in right now. Uh, it governs everything from who the leader of the monastery should be, how that person should be chosen, uh, how you should receive newcomers, uh, how, you should, uh, how you should pray, when you should pray, how long you should pray, what you should eat, what you should drink, what you should wear. It's both at the same time very broad 
and very specific. And I won't get into the minutiae of all that, uh, but I will say largely this is still followed the world over today by Benedictine monks and also Benedictine nuns, female communities who follow the rule of St. Benedict. And I will talk about those female communities at the end. So let's start here. Now, I am in the fine tradition of Bishop Joseph, who lives with me, going to start at the end of the rule. Chapter 72, the second to last chapter, is called The Good Zeal of Monks. Just read this for you. Just as there is a wicked zeal of bitterness which separates from God and leads to hell, so there is a good zeal which separates from evil and leads to God and everlasting life. This, then, is the good zeal which monks should follow with fervent love. They should each try to be the first to show respect to the other, supporting with the greatest patience one another's weaknesses of body or behavior, and earnestly competing in obedience to one another. No one is to pursue what he judges better for himself, but instead what he judges better for someone else. I already, I'm already sold. I'm already sold on St. Benedict. Isn't this the best way, a great way, to form a community of people? Not necessarily monks living in a monastery, but a family, a classroom, a workplace, a neighborhood, a town, a city. This one here, they should each try to be the first to show respect to the other. Now, unfortunately, St. Benedict didn't make that line up. He's quoting from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans there. But this one, he wrote this, Supporting with the greatest patience one another's weaknesses of body or behavior and earnestly competing in obedience to one another. No one is to pursue what he judges better for himself, but instead what he judges better for someone else. How good would your community, would your family, would your classroom, would your workplace be if the people there did not what they thought was better for themselves, but what they thought was better for others? Food for thought. That's at the end of the rule. Now, Bishop Joseph, who is a monk here, who was a monk here for a long time, he was Bishop of Portland, Maine, and now he is back here in retirement, uh, says, if you're going to read the rule of St. Benedict, you read this chapter first. Because if you read this chapter, and you think about what's in this chapter, and then read the rest of them, it all sort of makes sense. Because it's all, he says, directed to this. Not to pursue what he judges better for himself, but what he judges better for others. Think about that. All right, what else do we have here? We'll do that one in a minute. Here we go. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 is one of the longer chapters. I'm not going to read all of it, but the chapter 4 is entitled The Tools for Good Works. Benedict in this chapter seeks to set out what you should be doing in order to do good. So he's got a paragraph here where he just lists the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty good start. 
He's got another paragraph here where he quotes uh, some sections from the Sermon on the Mount. Relieve the lot of the poor, clothe the naked, visit the sick, bury the dead, the corporal works of mercy. Go to help the troubled and console the sorrowing. Here's something I really like here. This is, this is again, strictly Benedict. Your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. You are not to act in anger or nurse a grudge. Rid your heart of all deceit. Never give a hollow greeting of peace or turn away when someone needs your love. Never turn away when someone needs your love. He continues, and again, I'm just, I'm just picking out sentences here. They're all good. I'm just picking out things that have jumped out to me. Place your hope in God alone. If you notice something good in yourself, give credit to God, not to yourself. But be certain that the evil you commit is always your own and yours to acknowledge. Benedict has a unique, I think, a unique ability here. He knows exactly where he stands. And this is, again, another lesson that we can learn from him. We stand before God. We stand before God in that God controls it all. God is in charge. God is God, and thank God you're not him. That's what I like to say all the time. Here's my favorite section of this chapter. Do not aspire to be called holy before you really are. But first, be holy that you may more truly be called so. And finally, never lose hope in God's mercy. Again, Benedict understands his place in the world. Do not aspire to be called holy before you really are. Look at me. I'm holy. Here I go. I'm such a wonderful person. Nope. Just be holy. Just be holy. And you will be called holy if you are. Don't aspire to be called holy. Just be holy. It's like Nike. Just do it. That's what Benedict is saying here. Just do it. The third uh, little section from the rule that I want to touch on tonight, and I'm going to move to the dialogues, just to a brief look at the dialogues as well, is the reception of guests. I quoted this chapter a couple weeks ago when I talked about uh, Black Lives Matter, when I talked about the problem that we have with racism in our society. And so I think this bears repeating. Benedict um, devotes an entire chapter, chapter 53, to the reception of guests. And he will say here that guests, the reception of guests, hospitality, is a very, very important part of a monk's life. Again, in the Middle Ages, you could not go a day's journey walking without running into a monastery. And that monastery would always be ready to receive you. You didn't have to make a reservation. 
they you would go, you would arrive they were expecting you especially if this monastery was on a pilgrimage route and they had facilities and you could stay there and this is why all guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ for he himself will say I was a stranger and you welcomed me proper honor must be shown to all especially to those who share our faith and to pilgrims great care and concern are to be shown in receiving poor people and pilgrims because in them more particularly Christ is received our very awe of the rich guarantees them special respect all guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ for it is he who said I was a stranger and you welcomed me again what would our communities look like what would your workplace your school your town your city your neighborhood your family look like if this was a rule welcome Christ into your midst in the stranger in the guest in the poor and to go back to chapter 4 clothe the naked visit the sick bury the dead when Christ stands before you are you listening are you seeing him something to think about so as I said uh, the rule is 73 chapters long I'm not going to read the whole rule. Those are just three snippets that I thought I would share with you tonight. Again, uh, Bishop Barron and his Word on Fire uh, nonprofit organization uh, has this wonderful book. I suggest this is a good one. Uh, but if you type in the Rule of St. Benedict into Google, you can easily find it online and you can read it there. Now, the dialogues, the stories of St. Benedict. St. Gregory the Great wrote this, wrote these stories in the style of a dialogue in that he is speaking to somebody else, telling somebody else the story of St. Benedict's life. And I sort of recounted it for you at the beginning. Uh, but this is a, a, a particular, I like this way that he begins the dialogue, so I'll read this. There was a man of venerable life whose name was Benedict, and he was blessed in both grace and name. From the time he was a boy, he had the heart of an elder. And his way of life, in his way of life, he surpassed his age level in that he did not give himself over to sensual pleasure. While he was on this earth, he could have indulged himself freely. But he, described, he despised the glory of the world as a faded bloom. So again, the dialogues. Again, not that long. They're miracle stories, is what they really are. And there's one particular miracle story that I like. And that's what I'm going to end with tonight. You see, uh, I wasn't completely forthcoming when I described the beginning of Benedict's life. Uh, Benedict had a twin. He had a twin sister. Her name is Scholastica, and she is venerated as a saint as well, Saint Scholastica. For those of you watching who are fans of the 
famed author and illustrator Tommy DePaula, who just passed away recently, uh, he wrote a children's book called The Holy Twins, and it is about St. Benedict and St. Scholastica. So, now, Benedict started monasteries. He wrote a rule, he started monasteries. What did Scholastica do? She lived in a convent, and we believe followed the rule of St. Benedict, and is, is considered today to be the first Benedictine nun. And I like this, I'm going to read the only reference we have to St. Scholastica here. I really like this story. <laughs> Benedict lived in his monastery at Monte Cassino, which is a, still there today. You can go and visit it. Scholastica lived a little bit, you know, some, some distance away. They would get together once a year outside, in between the convent and the monastery in a little house. And here's what happened the last time that they met. They spent the whole day in praise of God and pious conversation. When night shadows were already falling, they took a meal together. The hour grew late, and they still sat conversing of holy things. Then his sister, the consecrated woman, asked him, saying, I beg you, do not leave me tonight. Let us speak until morning of the joys of the heavenly life. He responded, What are you saying, sister? There is no way I can remain outside the monastery. Now the sky was so clear that not a cloud could be seen. When the nun heard her brother's refusal, she put her hands on the table with her fingers entwined. Then she put her head on her hands to pray to Almighty God. When she raised her head from the table, there was such thunder and lightning and such a downpour of rain that neither Venerable Benedict nor the brothers who were with him could set foot outdoors. The nun, by bowing her head in her hands, flooded the table with tears, and in this way changed a clear sky to rain. The rain did not follow long after her prayer, but the coincidence of the prayer and the downpour was such that the thunder roared when she raised her head, and the rain fell as soon as she raised her head. When the man of God saw that he could not return to the monastery because of the thunder and lightning, and because of the cloudburst, he was dismayed and said, God forgive you, sister. What have you done? She answered, Look, I asked you and you wouldn't listen. So I asked my Lord, and he listened. Now leave me, if you can, and go back to the monastery. He could not, however, go outside. He was not willing to remain freely there, so he had to remain against his will. And so it happened that they stayed up all night and they satisfied each other with a holy discourse on the spiritual life. The next day, the holy woman returned to her convent and the holy man went back to the monastery. Three days later, Benedict was standing in the monastery when he looked up and saw the soul of his sister leave her body, and fly to the heavenly heights 
in the form of a dove. He immediately sent his brothers to bring her body to the monastery, and he had them place it in the tomb he had prepared for himself. That way, it came about that those who had always been of one mind in the Lord were not even bodily separated in the tomb. She prayed that her brother would not leave her and that they could continue talking because she knew that this was the end of her life. I love that story. So, just a few chapters later is the account of Benedict's death. Six days before his death, he commanded that his grave be opened. Soon he was seized with fever and he was exhausted by its burning heat. He became weaker as the days went by and on the sixth day he had his disciples carry him to the oratory. There he fortified himself for death by receiving the body and blood of the Lord. Then with his weak body held up by his disciples, he stood with his hands raised toward heaven and breathed forth his last as he prayed. And there at his monastery of Monte Cassino, St. Benedict passed away and was buried in the tomb with his twin sister. And you can go there today, 1,500 years later. I had the privilege of being there three years ago. Uh, I got together with uh, a bunch of young monks from around the world, and we saw all these places in the life of St. Benedict. Uh, so Benedict and Scholastica are buried there at Monte Cassino. Monte Cassino is still a working monastery. There are monks there that follow the rule of St. Benedict. And so the legacy of St. Benedict continues on today. It continues on in his followers, people like me, uh, the you know, thousands of monks and nuns around the world that follow the rule of St. Benedict on all six continents around the world. But it also lives on in the life and in the work of all of you who might take a little part of what St. Benedict has to offer and apply it to your own life. Do not aspire to be called holy before you really are, but instead be holy. They should each try to outdo each other in mutual obedience never thinking about what is best for themselves, but what is best for others. That is the legacy of St. Benedict. That is the legacy that he leaves us, that he left us. And so tomorrow, July 11th, is a big day here. Uh, I will. I, we just got our schedule. I think I'm going to be in a party all day tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is a traditional date here at St. Anselm where monks take their vows uh, it's a tradition, not a rule, because I didn't. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the few. But we have several monks here who are celebrating anniversaries of taking their vows. For me, uh, today is my anniversary. I moved into the monastery here five years ago today. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's been five years uh, since I moved in. I will tell you this living the life of a Benedictine monk and following the rule of St. Benedict has been far more rewarding 
than I ever, ever thought it would be. And so please know that I am praying for you. I ask that tonight and especially tomorrow, if you could say a prayer for me and for my community here and for all those around the world who follow the rule of St. Benedict, that we may love what he loved and practice what he taught so that we can bring the gospel of Christ and the good news to the whole world. So that's our episode for tonight. We'll see you next week uh, for another episode of Fridays with Francis. Again, as I normally do, I'll let you know what that is sometime next week. Until that time, know that God is working on your behalf. Heaven is holding conversations about you. Angels have been assigned to you. Be at peace. And until next week, have a good week.